Well, good morning, Vision City Church. How are we doing this morning? Uh, it's such a joy and a blessing to be with you. I am so honored, and uh, as, as I was sitting out here with you worshiping the Lord, I could just sense the tangible presence of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit, working in my own heart, and I know that that's a good sign of what God is doing here at this church. Uh, your pastor, Garrett, has been such a good friend such a faithful example of a man who loves the Lord and is committed to God's word and, and the people of God and uh, has, has been an inspiration to me, um, especially on the level of his beard, which is just an amazing thing. But this morning, it is a great joy to be with you. I'm uh, looking forward to diving into God's word. Why don't we pray together uh, and then we'll go into our study. Heavenly Father, we quiet our hearts and our minds before you today. We are grateful to be together. We think of this day, and as Pastor Garrett so eloquently and truthfully spoke, Lord, we sit in this room worshiping, not in fear, but in freedom because of the cost and the price that so many others paid for us to defend that freedom. We're grateful for this day. But Lord, we are also just honored to be part of your work in this world. Lord, you are on the move. You are impacting lives. You are changing communities. And Lord, we want to be in the mix of what you're doing. We believe, Lord, that we aren't here to follow some cleverly devised fable, to partake in some moral performance or some religious service. We are here because we trust in and follow and are empowered by the King of Kings who rose from the dead and who lives forevermore. And we are trusting you, Lord. And so would you empower us today? Would you set our hearts towards the kingdom and towards the good things you want to do? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, this morning we're going to dive into a topic that I'm going to be honest with you. I started a, started a journey of prayer um, when Pastor Garrett asked me to come and teach. Lord, what do you want me to share this morning with the church? And this came to my heart multiple times. I, I don't know if you've ever found yourself arguing with the Lord. It's not always a good idea. I found myself on that end. You sure you want me to talk about this thing, Lord? And I just kept coming back to it. So by faith, I'm going to talk to you about a subject that admittedly for any pastor is a difficult and challenging subject to talk about. Um, it, it's one of those messages that as a pastor, you probably want to give only one time in your ministry career, or whatever you want to call it, um, because it's necessary and it's biblical and it's important. But pastors don't like talking about it. It's like, Josh, what are you going to talk to us about today? Well, I'm not going to talk politics or uh, any of those kind of issues, as important as they are. I'm going to talk to you this morning about pastors. Say, what, what do you mean, Josh? It's never comfortable for a pastor to give a message about pastors. Uh, for the true pastor who wants to try to be humble and not make themselves the center of attention... Uh, they don't want to talk about these kind of issues, but nonetheless, I'm the guest speaker, so I can do it today and hopefully get away with it. And I want to bring some encouragement to you today about pastors and what they need. Pastor Garrett did not ask me to preach this message. Uh, he doesn't even know what I'm talking about today, so I hope it's okay. But this morning, I'm going to give you a message entitled simply, Why Pastors Need Prayer. This message is not 
to, to bring any sort of pity or praise. We don't need that, but we do need the prayer support of the body of Christ. And so I'm going to pray once more, and let's really dive into it. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we thank you. Pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning and open us up to what your spirit might say. In Jesus' name, amen. Why pastors need prayer? Now, you might say, well, Josh, don't we all need prayer? I mean, shouldn't we all be praying for one another? And the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, it wouldn't be strange at all if I gave you a sermon entitled this morning, Why Pastors Should Pray for Their Church, right? Everyone here would say, of course, that's what pastors should be doing. According to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, uh, part of the job of a pastor is not only to be committed to God's word, but to pray for the church. And pastors should be praying for their church. I am often convicted by the Apostle Paul, who himself had a pastoral heart. In every single letter to every single church, you know what he tells them? That he's praying for them. Here's a few examples. Listen to these examples. To the Romans, Paul says, Without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayer. To the Corinthians, he writes, I thank God always on your behalf. To the Ephesians, he writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in every prayer. To the Philippians, he says, I am always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. To the Colossians, he writes, we give thanks to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. In, in Thessalonians, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayer. To Timothy, who was a young pastor and a son in the faith, Paul writes, Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. And he says the same thing to Philemon. Now, when I read this, I get the sense that Paul is either a liar or he is a prayer. And I tend to think the second about Paul, that he is a man, obviously, who is committed to consistent prayer. He's a man who said, pray without ceasing. He took that command seriously. He was a pastor who was burdened, whose heart bled for the church. He carried their struggles. He was broken over their sin. He was connected to their pain. He felt their heartache. He worried about their spiritual condition. And what did he do as a result? He prayed for them always. He spent many sleepless nights and early mornings on his knees, by name, praying for people and for churches. Once Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his perils that he endured for the sake of the gospel, it's almost difficult to read. I'm going to read it to you. It's found in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. Paul says this, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, 
in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings and cold and nakedness. Anyone want to sign up yet? <laughs> all right, this was Paul's life. And you know what? You think of all those things he went through, and you know what he adds to this list? Oh, I'm beaten, I'm in prison, I can't sleep, I'm tired, I'm being reproached, I'm being persecuted from within and without. And then he says this, And beside all these things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You see, that's the heart of a pastor. A man who is praying for his church. Paul spent his nights in jail concerned about how the church was doing. Now, most of us pastors today would never dare compare ourselves to Paul. I certainly haven't gone, undergone even an, a tenth of the trials that he has experienced or that he discusses here. But I do understand now more than ever when he talks about his deep concern for the church. His concern is birthed from the Holy Spirit who is concerned about the church. And I know, and I know your pastor knows, what it's like to be on our knees during sleepless nights after hearing people's stories and feeling like there's nothing you can do about it. I know what it's like to sit in my office desperately crying out to the Lord to please give me some sort of message to deliver to His people. I know what it's like to pray, pray, pray when a mother who gave birth to a miracle child with no arms and no stomach. Watch this baby grow two years. This miracle child. And I get a call one day, two years in, Josh, you need to come to the hospital. Our son just died. And to sit in a hospital room with a mother screaming, saying, why God? Why me? Josh, why would God do this? And all I could do is pray. It would deeply be concerning to have a pastor who didn't prioritize prayer for his flock. But trust me on something, and I, again, I don't say this to be boastful, but informative. The burden a pastor carries, holding the concern for the spiritual health and eternal destiny of hundreds of people, of ten people, of a hundred people, of a thousand people, it matters not for one person is a fearful thing for a pastor. It's not something to complain about. It's something we do with joy. It's God's call to our ministry. But that doesn't mean it's easy or always fun. Ministry can take a lot out of a person physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually, and it does. People often see the pastor as the Sunday performer, but they don't see how the pastor carries the weight and the burden of the church and of people and of the Lord throughout the week. On top of that, trying to be the one to be an example of Christ and honor the name of Jesus while working through their own process of sanctification and failure and doing it all within a fishbowl. Not long ago, a pastor in Chino Hills, the city I grew up in, committed suicide. And after he did, I wrote a short blog that addressed some concerns I had about the culture that the church has created around pastoral ministry. Within one day, I had over a thousand shares on social media, and I knew that this was striking a nerve and a chord within the church. 
This post I wrote is fairly short, and I just want to read it to you to set the tone. We are getting to the message here in a moment. Here's what I wrote after I learned of this pastor's suicide. I just got word of a fellow senior pastor who committed suicide on Friday in the community I grew up in. This breaks my heart for so many reasons. I don't know the source of this man's pain or the reasons for his actions, but it has brought to mind something I have long been burdened by. Our culture has created a celebrity model that no human being can effectively measure up to for pastors. Christian, please remember that your pastors are just people. They too are sheep that are part of the same flock as you. They are men who are being sanctified and are doing their best by God's grace to shepherd the flock of God and be an honorable example of Jesus. Unfortunately, pastors also make human mistakes. They argue with their spouse. They aren't always great fathers. They battle with temptation and pride, and they are afraid of vulnerability. They fear being eaten alive by sheep if they disappoint them in any way. Instead of dealing with the criticisms of non-understanding people, it's easy for them to put on a face and pass, press through their struggle alone and isolated. This can often end in depression and tragedy. I'm not excusing the blatant sin of some pastors or hypocrisy from the pulpit, nor am I minimizing the responsibility of a pastor to be honest and have integrity. A pastor must walk in the spirit and not contribute to his own difficulties. There are certain high biblical standards for the office of an overseer that must be taken seriously. I will say, though, that the celebrity culture and human expectations that have been laid upon pastors today are heavier than what most are able to carry. If we are honest, we can clearly see that there has been an unbiblical precedent set for today's pastors. Yes, pastors need to take heed to their character and their doctrine, but people in the church need to pray for, support, submit to, and show grace towards their pastors. As a pastor, it's time to speak up, not merely for my own sake, but for the sake of those who have given their lives to the calling of leading, teaching, and shepherding God's people. It's a hard job and not for the faint of heart. There are unspoken battles, intense spiritual warfare, and unbelievable mental and emotional weights that every pastor carries. We carry those things willingly for the sake of Christ and his church. But the culture has to change, both internally within a pastor's heart and externally within our churches. So church, instead of idolizing your pastor, support him. Instead of criticizing his every word and every move, pray for him. Instead of demanding from him, empathize with him. Instead of assuming the worst, have a conversation face to face. And to my fellow pastors, don't hide in the shadows. You and I need accountability. We need friends. Face it, we are all together part of the body of Christ, and we need one another. The statistics you've all heard are staggering. Here are just a few from research firms such as Barna, Lifeway, and the Fuller Institute. 72% of pastors report working between 55 to 75 hours a week. 78% of pastors report having their vacation and personal time interrupted with ministry duties. 80% of pastors expect conflict within their church. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider to be a close friend. 57% of pastors feel 
fulfilled yet discouraged stress and fatigue. Yet 90% of these pastors feel honored to be a pastor. Last year, it was reported that 1,500 pastors at one level or another left the ministry every single month. Now, before I go any further, I do want to say that some of these statistics are due to the culture we've created. Pastors today are often put into place not based on their character or their calling, but their charisma and their communication skills. And that can create problems for everybody. When a pastor begins to believe his own positive press, he can develop a grandiose view of himself and become arrogant. A pastor can believe that he is somehow above the petty battles that other people face, and he can become isolated. It's also easy for a pastor to give so much of himself to the work of the ministry that he forgets his first love or drifts from Christ. All of these things a pastor must be careful of. That's why Paul told Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. But you know what? On top of that, the pressures mounting from our society on pastors today is unbearable. As one person put it, today's pastor is expected to have the wisdom of, uh, wisdom of Solomon, to preach like the Apostle Paul, to have the faith of Peter, to lead like a CEO, to be a counselor, psychologist, and have the mercy of Mother Teresa, and do it all while walking in the humility of Jesus. That's a tough job description. But if these are just some of the battlegrounds your pastor is facing day to day, is it too much to ask that intercession and prayer be made for him? I don't think so. In seven different times, in seven different letters, Paul asked the church for personal prayer. Seven different times, Paul the apostle, Paul the pastor, looked at the church and wrote to them, please pray for me. This is not a selfish or arrogant request. It is a desperation. I was amazed. I had the blessing of serving a, a ministry in India. And I go to India once or twice a year. I train pastors there. And I was so challenged and convicted. I was, last time I was in India this last fall, I was uh, getting ready. I, I woke up early Sunday morning and I hear this, this noise at the church, and I went down and I asked the pastor there, what's going on over at the church? I mean, it's super early. It was like 4 a.m. I asked him later that, that morning, what was going on at the church at like 4 a.m.? And he said, oh, every single Saturday night, we have 200 men and women that come to church and they pray all night for me. Every single week. He said, we have a group of 25 men that their sole ministry in the church is to meet every single week together and spend hours praying for me in the proclamation of the gospel. He's, it's amazing. He's planted over 250 churches in India in opposition of the Hindus and the Muslims and the government and all these sorts of things. And they have this culture where they recognize to lift up the arms of those who lead, not because they're more important or, or somehow on a different level, but because they're the ones that God has called to lead into the battle against the enemy, to proclaim the truths of the gospel on a platform where they are vulnerable. 
And so for the remaining of our time together, I'm going to look at each of these prayers and briefly give you seven ways that you can pray for your pastor as Paul asked the church to pray for him. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these seven brief things down. The first one is simply this. How can I pray for my pastor? Number one, you need to pray for their protection. You need to pray for their protection. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In the scripture, Paul prays for deliverance three separate times. He asked them to pray for his deliverance. You remember once Paul had to be lowered down in a basket to escape assassins. Paul was frequently in prison. Even when he wrote this, he was in prison. And Paul knew something very valuable that we should all know. That wherever God's truth is being proclaimed, an enemy and a battle are not far behind it. Let me say that again. Anywhere God's truth is being unashamedly proclaimed, an enemy and a battle are not far behind it. It is that true in your life. It is true here in this city, here in this church. Pastor Garrett, the pastors, the elders here, you guys, we're not playing games. They're not, you guys aren't playing games. You are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And you have a leader who is out there putting his neck on the line to lead into that warfare. A seminary professor once put it much more direct. He said, ministers have a bullseye on their back and footprints up their chest. It is the truth. I praise God that I have not had to experience jail or death threats, but I've had my share of attackers. Enemies come in different packages and different battles and different forms. Outside America, many pastors today are facing physical threats, but the spiritual enemies and threats to a pastor are just as real and just as dangerous. Sometimes the enemies of the pastor are not those simply around him, but those inside of him. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest uh, preachers of this century, is said to have spent one-third of his ministry, ministry in debilitating depression. Even in that, he was trusting that his battles were not outside of God's sovereignty. Regarding the enemies of a pastor, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, As officers in God's army, we are the special target of hostility of men and of devils, They watch for our faltering and work to trip us up at the heels. This is one of many reasons that the pastors who pray for their flocks need the flock to pray for them. Pray for their protection. Number two, pray for their productiveness. I have not met one true pastor who isn't impassioned to see the work of the gospel be fruitful that their efforts would produce something productive for the kingdom. To the Thessalonians, Paul writes this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul was not looking for his own glory. Paul was not looking to build his own kingdom. But he wanted to see God's worth go go forth in power unhindered by the attacks of the enemy. 
He said, pray that the word of God through us runs swiftly. That word runs swiftly. It's a Greek uh, word that means it was a metaphor of a, 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 an athlete who was running a race and who would come up against obstacles and endure and press through to the finish line. And Paul was saying here, pray for us that we being carriers of God's word, God's word would, would endure, would finish well, would run with strength all the way to the finish line so that God's word would be glorified. Who cares about my name? I don't need to make a name for myself, but pray for us that we would have productiveness and fruitfulness and effectiveness for the sake of God's word going forth into the world. That's a great way to pray for your pastor. You might say, well, Josh, you know, I'm not really an evangelist. I could never get up and preach. But do you know that someone has to? Someone has to stand up and proclaim boldly God's word to God's people. And you could pray for the people that do and pray that God's word would come forth from them with power and with authority. Church, I will offer a word of exhortation. The church doesn't need any more critics. Sure, we are all to be Bereans. We're all to listen carefully to what we're being taught and compare it to the word of God. I've never known a true pastor who doesn't welcome someone coming up to them and saying, hey, I had a question about your sermon. That's good for us. We need that. But what we don't need were, uh, his jokes were so bad. His voice was so monotone. Boy, that was boring sermon today. He preached too long. He preached too short. He's not my style. He accidentally misquoted a verse. He must be a heretic. We don't need that kind of stuff. The church doesn't need that kind of stuff. You don't know what kind of night your pastor had when he was up at 3 a.m. with a sick kid or on a hospital visit or he didn't have time to fully prepare his study because he got called off to someone who was dying. You don't know. Pray. If it's not your favorite thing coming from the pulpit, then pray for your pastor. When you have to stand before people, be it few or many, whose eternal destinies might hang in the balance based on your words, it's a very trembling thing. It's always helpful to a pastor when someone out of love brings forth their prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19, Paul requests an amazing prayer request of the church in Ephesus. He says, pray for me that utterance might be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. And that's every pastor's prayer, that they can open their mouth and bring forth the unchanging, eternal truths of God in a way that impacts powerfully people's lives. And part of that reality is that the church is praying for their pastor. Number three, the third way you can pray for your pastor is this. You can pray for their purity. Pray for their purity. Pray for their protection. Pray for their productiveness. And pray for their purity. I'll tell you what. For everyone living today, in this day and age, the potential for defilement of the flesh exceeds, I think, any other time in history. You guys agree with me? The opportunities for you and I to get our eyes on something, to get something inside of our hearts that shouldn't be there is on every corner, in every computer, uh, in every store, in every place. It has been, we have been bombarded 
with opportunities for our purity to be defiled. When we think of the word purity, we often think of it in a sexual uh, context. And of course, we should think of it in that way. Do you know that pastoral infidelity is the leading cause of pastoral disqualification today? Sexual sin is is biblically unique because the scripture teaches that sexual sin is not merely against God or another person, but it's also against yourself. Pornography is rampant in our culture. It leads people into isolation and secrecy and is an on-ramp to all sorts of other sinful decisions. And statistics have unfortunately proved that pastors aren't immune to the temptations of the flesh. Sure, a pastor should not be walking according to the temptations of the flesh, but they certainly are not immune to it. Pastors need to be humble and repentant and take their own purity seriously. But do you know that purity for a pastor is not merely sexual? Purity for a pastor means to be unspotted by the world in every sense. Billy Graham was well aware of this, and he had that that famous sort of trilemma, that famous... uh, the three things that he assessed were the greatest potential threats to a pastor or a leader in the church. Money, women, and power. And those are the things that tempt pastors the most this day and age. This is why Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor, and he said to him in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in word and in conduct and in love and in spirit and in faith and in purity. Be an example, he calls him. For a pastor, it's not merely sexual purity that matters, but ministry motives and doctrine and freedom from the bitterness of unforgiveness of people that hurt you. This is why Paul wrote to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. He says this, pray for me, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things we desire to live honorably. See, Paul, he wanted to live honorably. He wanted to make a good name for Jesus. He wanted to live above reproach, but he said, he recognized that in order for us to do this long term, you need to pray for us. Defend us with your prayers and your love that we can live pure lives in every single way and not fall in this world. For when a pastor falls, it can devastate an entire church. So please, pray for our purity. Pray for us to resist the temptation of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Pray against those who would seek to lie about us or to exact revenge or damage our reputation. Pray that we can live in a way both publicly and privately that honors Christ. Pray for our purity. Number four, the fourth way you can pray for your pastor or maybe I should say a reason you should pray for your pastor is this. Pray so that you may partner. Pray that you may partner. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. So Paul looks at the church in Corinth and he says, you need to help us by prayer. 
so that when other people receive the gift through us, they might know that it comes from not just me, but the partnership that you gave me through your prayers. And here's a very important principle that Paul understood and we all need to understand. When you pray, you partner. I want you to say that with me. When you pray, you partner. Prayer is a way to partner with your pastor in the work that God is doing. Paul recognized that deliverance from difficult circumstances, financial provision, and the impact of the gospel was not just a result of his ministry, but a result of all the people praying behind him. Vision City Church. When this church blows up, and this community is being impacted, and the work of the kingdom is going out of this church to the nations, it's not simply because Pastor Garrett is a great teacher and a great leader, which I believe he absolutely is, but it's because the people of Vision City Church are faithful prayers. They're the people who are behind the scenes, uplifting and undergirding the work of the ministry. A delegation of American pastors once visiting Charles Spurgeon asked him the secret of the success of his ministry. In response, Spurgeon led them downstairs to the lower level of his church and he opened the door, revealing over 400 people praying for the blessing of God's power to rest upon their pastor as he stood in the pulpit that morning. There, gentlemen, said Spurgeon, is the secret for God's blessing his work here the great boiler room prayer company that prayed and prayed and prayed. The things we've discussed so far are all summed up in Paul's request to the church in Rome. Listen to what he says. In Romans 15, verses 30 through 32, Paul says, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those who, in Judea who do not believe. That's protection. That my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That's productiveness. And that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. That's partnership. Here, Paul is pleading with them. Pray for us. Finally, number five, how do we pray for our pastor? What do we pray for for our pastor? It's simply this. Pray for their fill-in-the-blank everything else. The last verse I want to look at today is simply four words. Paul says this to first, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, his request to the church at Thessalonica. He simply says this, Brethren, pray for us. Paul is saying, the list is too long. Just in case I miss anything else, just pray for us. Pray for us in any way that you can think of praying for us. Pray for us, fill in the blank. Here at Vision City Church, you have a pastor and a group of leaders who are imperfect yet redeemed faithful men. I was sitting back here today before the service in a group with these guys. And I just listened to them pray for you. And I thought, how blessed this church is to have these men who love them, who are praying for them. From week to week and day to day, they're in hospitals and nursing rooms. 
They are at your son's wedding. They are at your father's funeral. They are at the fundraiser for the local ministry and the celebration for the new baby. They're at the coffee shop before dawn, discipling people. They're in the community, serving people. They're in the counseling room, weeping with people. They are on their knees in prayer when no one else is watching and are, by God's grace, living above reproach when everyone is watching. They are discipling their kids and loving their wives, all while doing it with every eye on them. They are searching the scriptures weekly, seeking the Lord, sacrificing in order to simply fulfill their God-given calling. They are dealing with sparring brethren, wounded sheep, and sin-stained circumstances on a daily basis. They have battled internally, mentally, and spiritually so that they might lead the church in God's perfect wisdom. On top of that, they have spent every day maintaining their personal intimacy and relationship with Christ so that they can remain useful in the hands of Jesus. Maybe even this week, One of your elders or your pastor got the question, so what do pastors even do during the week? We love being pastors. We would rather do nothing else. But for us to do it effectively, we need your prayer. We need your support. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that pastors are given by God to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, And if the pastor is given by God to the church, may the prayers and the support of the church be given to the pastor. Spurgeon wrote, We are miserable men if we miss the help of your prayers, but we are happy if we live in your supplications. And I would ask you as a church, I realize this is maybe an odd message, not one anyone was expecting to hear today. But I want to ask you as a church to uphold, lift up, pray for, and support with your service, your talents, and your gift, the pastors and the elders that God has entrusted to lead you. And work with them to see this place impacted for Christ. For with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Continue with faith, hope, and love to see this place transformed. And as your pastor is out there trying to lead the charge, surround him, pray for him, and give him and the Lord your all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for our pastors. I think of the many men who have invested into my life over the years. The men I've sat under, the men that have surrounded me, invested their time, sacrificed to sit with me over coffee, to speak God's word into my life, and the course that it set for me. And I'm thankful, Lord, for our pastors. I'm thankful for my pastors, and I'm thankful for Pastor Garrett. I'm thankful for the elders of this church It's beautiful to see the work that you're doing here. And I pray that he would find himself encouraged and lifted up. And Lord, uh, I, I pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit on each and every life here, Lord, that no one would feel like they don't have a place in your work, for we each do. 
Lord, we pray that you would give us faith, that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit and equip us for the work to come. And we pray it all in the mighty and powerful name, the name above every name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.